1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. All right. Well, thanks, Ricky, for uh, doing this again. We uh, this is our second go around. <laughs> we had technical difficulties. You, you have a great conversation. You throw it in the old computer box there. You go to edit it, and then you get this. Um, trying to think of what the error thing was. It was like corrupt file or something. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so, yeah, the the podcaster's version of the walk of shame is I had to reach back out to you and tell you, ask you if we would do it again, and you were so gracious as to do this again. So I have with me wild game chef, hunter, and restaurant professional, Ricky Folger. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to do this again. <laughs> awesome. All right. So let's just uh, let's just jump into it. Uh, so how did you first? I suppose. So what came here? We'll do the chicken egg thing. What came first, the chefing or the hunter part? Uh, chefing, um, but it was quickly followed by hunting. Um, <clears throat> My, I've been in the restaurant industry for 13 years, but it's been all on the service side. So wine, service, and, um, you know, serving jobs and busing and, and managing and all that fun stuff. Um, I went to culinary school after that to get a degree in uh, nutrition, but halfway through, they closed my campus. So I ended up with a uh, degree in culinary arts. So... <laughs> well, they might have done you a favor. I mean, I've heard other um, chefs not talk very highly about culinary school. You know, they said stuff like, well, it, it taught me how to use a knife, but it didn't really teach me how to cook. You know, kind of. Right. Do, do you have a similar experience? I have the exact same experience um, down to the the fact that I would ask my culinary teacher a question. I'd be like, I don't know. Google it. I'm like, okay, well, I can probably, (laughs) I'm very, very serious. Oh my Um, But I think the benefit is that you get to utilize all of the tools that the culinary school has. So very, you know, nice ovens, tools, all the stuff that you basically would not have at home. Um, So I, I think it, that is a benefit to it, but you could also just go work in a restaurant and utilize all of those tools as well and learn much quicker, um, you know, on the job and getting paid for it versus coming out of school in debt and basically at square one. So, Right. And, and I mean, I kind of thought, um, 
like I don't want to throw too much shade on like the culinary school industry. I'm sure it has its its place. And uh, becoming proficient in those tools, I think, probably is a professional or a, a good skill to develop. I never did anything like that. I like to do a fair amount of cooking myself. And like just this morning, I'm cutting up, you know, potatoes and carrots. And, and pretty much any time I do stuff like that, it's like, I'm definitely not like the chefs you see on TV, you know, where they're just like, chuck, 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 and it looks so flawless and beautiful. And you're like, holy crap. And every time I cut up an onion, it's just, there's stuff flying everywhere and it's not nice <laughs> and neat. It's okay. Like, hey, I could probably stand to, to learn a thing or two about a thing or two, but with that said, it's like the value, like like you said, going in debt, like how much is it worth it to you? And it, it's just the other people that I've talked to that have become chefs or cook or went to culinary school or didn't. It's like they just, that real world experience that you get just working in a kitchen just is, they learn way more that there than they ever did in their culinary school. And if they could do it over again, they would have skipped the culinary school and just started, you know, washing dishes at a restaurant and working your way up through the ranks. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, with that, when did it, so then you said the hunting came in after that. How did you get into hunting? I started to become very interested in where my food was actually coming from. Um, you know, you can go to the grocery store and meat comes perfectly portioned on little styrofoam trays wrapped in plastic you know, vegetables are nicely placed in the produce section. Um, you know, other things come out of a box. And I really wanted to know, like, okay, what does it actually take to process a cow? What does it actually take to have a, you know, functioning garden? And that slowly led into, okay, well, what is it like to actually harvest an animal myself? Um, and being... Uh, you know, being able to rely on myself is such a cool idea. And I think that hunting is such a big part of that, at least, you know, for me now. Um, so I downloaded an app called Clubhouse and I got on there, um, which is like an audio only app that really became popular during the pandemic. And got in a food and beverage magazine club and I asked like, Hey, I want to start hunting. Like, can you give me some contacts? And they put me in contact with one of my good friends named Victoria Loomis, who lives in Louisiana. And we had an amazing connection. And um, I met a couple of other people on there as well. Uh, my hunting <clears throat> mentor and a couple of friends. And we actually went turkey hunting. Um, oh my gosh. Almost a year ago now. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, and through that, I've met uh, a bunch of other people as well in restaurant industries and in different industries that have really helped me progress through um, the outdoor industry and getting me really involved. I was having such a hard time breaking into this industry and just getting a lot of, no, you can't do that. No, you're from California. Oh, no, you're a girl. You don't want to go out and, you know, get dirty and cold and all that stuff. So, um, Where were you hearing that? those kind of um, negative things like like i mean obviously don't name names but like yeah <laughs> what, who like what was the social structure are these like people you knew are these conversations you were having online were uh, i guess it was mostly online i did have a couple of acquaintances that i met in colorado um that grew up hunting and i told them that i had an interest in starting and and they really were they kind of made fun of me <laughs> a little bit. Um, and having a family that has not been in the hunting industry or, you know, outdoor industry really at all, um, I kind of sat down and, and started from square one. So I started reaching out to companies that I knew, whether it be, you know, clothing companies or knife companies or all these things that were related to the hunting industry and just started emailing people to see if I could get a response. Um, that's kind just, of, sorry, that, that's kind of crazy to me because in, in my circle, at least the people that I know that hunt with, when, when somebody comes to us and is genuinely interested in hunting, like we get giddy, like we get excited. You're like, are you serious? You really, you want to, 
you want to learn how to do this? You know, it's like, it's like, uh, yeah, sure. We're, you can just go with us next weekend. Like, I mean, we're like, it's great. Like, I don't know why anybody would, I, I, I just, yeah. I don't, well, I don't understand. I'm... I don't understand like what's going, the psychology of it. I don't understand. Like, are they trying to protect it for themselves? You know, I don't want any more Possibly. competition in the woods. I'm just going to like scare people away from this. But like, I just don't understand what the motivation is behind being that kind of Debbie Downer negative, like, oh, you don't want to do this. It's cold and it's this and it's that. And it's like, well, right. <laughs> first of all, you kind of know that they're full of shit because like, well, you do it. Like, why do you put up with the cold and the mud and the whatever? There's obviously some mm-hmm. value to it to you. I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. No, but just, no, I've always fine. found I mean, it I, bizarre I when was, I hear stories like that. Yeah, I, I was, I definitely kind of, was very disheartened by it. I was like, okay, well, maybe this isn't for me. Um, but I did get a response back from Blood Origins, and Robbie was super excited and super helpful as well um, to kind of break into that industry. And I actually went um, met with him, and then my friend Tori, we went frogging um, in Louisiana. So that was an amazing connection that that I made. But yeah, it was. It was very, very strange. Now, I think, now that I have a little bit of experience in my back pocket, people are more willing to, you know, have me tag along or talk to me about hunting and stuff like that, so. Sure. Well, that's good. I mean, it does, I, I you know, just kind of putting yourself out there, I think, um, tells people that you're, you know, willing to take a chance, and I don't know. But with that said, if there's anybody out there that's listening to this or, you know, and and they're coming from a complete new base. You know, they don't know anything about hunting, but they're hunting curious. Um, I, I would really encourage people to just be open-minded and, and welcoming, you know, at least answer their questions. You know, maybe they're just on the fence. Maybe they don't know if they want to do it or not, but the last thing you should do is blast them with every reason they shouldn't. I mean, hell, we, we get enough flack from, other sources as it is you know as far as hunting so that's that's the other thing it doesn't make sense to me it's like we're always it seems like we're always kind of trying to defend it in the public eye or on social media and then all of a sudden you have somebody that comes in that's a potential ally more than an ally interested in becoming one of the fold and then you turn them away it's like i don't what i don't i don't get that yeah we're attacking ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It's just, it's like, it's weird. Well, and one thing that we talked about um, in our practice run <laughs> right. was that, um, you know, not everyone can be a hunter. You know, there there is a limit that the land can hold. You know, this is why we have permits and, and yada, yada. But uh, people can support hunters, True. Yeah, um, that's that's a good point. I'm glad you, you kind of circled back around to that because it is true. It's like we can't say, like, this is how everybody should get their meat. Well, it's not viable. There's 330 no. million people in this country, and not all of them can go hunting. Like, there's just not enough, there's not enough animals. There's not enough space. Like, there's no way to do that. But with that said, it's like, you know— not, not to sound overly cliche, but that it takes a village thing. It's like, well, not everybody's going to be a hunter or a carpenter or a whatever the thing is. Like, everybody's going to have a different role, and not everybody's going to be interested in it. You know, that's that's the other thing, too. It's like, it's not like we should expect that everybody should be interested in hunting or interested in gardening or whatever. They're going to have other interests, and that's fine. That's that's how it. That's how we make it so there's room for everybody you know, in the outdoors or in just room for everybody at the table to have an opinion. But it's like, make those allies. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to become hunters themselves, but at least they will have a favorable opinion of it as a voting member of the public when something comes down, you know, a candidate comes down the line or some sort of legislation comes down the line that might hinder or push back on, you know, hunting rights and freedoms. At least now you have an ally, you know. They don't necessarily yeah. have to do it themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of that also has to do with education. And that's been one of the um, most enjoyable things about getting into hunting is learning about 
what all actually goes into it. You don't just pick up a gun and go out in a field and shoot something. There's a process. There are, you know, requirements for education. There are permits and, you know, getting into the, to the laws of it as well has just been fascinating. So it's, it's really a much bigger thing than, you know, if you're not familiar with hunting. Well, and, quite a bit different than the lost. media portrayal of a hunter, exactly. right? You know, in any yeah. kind of movie or cartoon, the hunter is always this, you know, backwoods, dopey, stupid, you know, just guy that likes to shoot guns. You know, it's never, it, right. it's, it's never the guy that is a steward of the land. <laughs> you know, that's never, that's never the narrative, you know? So it's, it's, we're kind of starting behind the eight ball, if you will, when we're dealing with people that grew up mostly in, you know, a, a metropolitan area that just are basically disconnected from their food and not just hunting. I mean, just even gardening or agriculture in general, they have no clue. Right. They go to the store. That's where you get the food. Like they don't. And not realizing what is in season. <laughs> well, that's that yeah. beginning to, you know, work in restaurants. I'm like, okay, well, why don't we have you know, let's say heirloom tomatoes and people are like, well, it's December. Why would we have heirloom tomatoes right now? Right. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can tell, I mean, for the most part, you can go into a grocery store and you can get almost anything you want at any given time, mm-hmm. but it's probably not going to be good. You know, you get, no. you get a tomato out of season that was grown in a greenhouse under artificial lights <laughs> and it is not the same thing. As the, as the tomato, even at the same grocery store that you buy in the fall or mm-hmm. late summer, like that tomato is going to be so much better because chances are it was actually grown in an outside garden with real sunlight. And you know what I mean? Like it make that makes a big difference. It really does. And I would say it's the same thing with wild game. I mean, you can have, you know, whether the, these um, deer farms that are around and you, know, you eat that venison versus wild venison it's going to be different. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've ever had farmed venison. I think I've had it in a restaurant before, but that's not even like, that's not whitetail deer. If it's a, if you're in, no. (laughs) Yeah. Because of the, um, the laws we have in this country, thank goodness. Uh, you can't, you can't sell like whitetail deer meat. So if it says venison on a menu, chances are it's a red stag. From, from you know New, New Zealand, Zealand or something, yeah. yeah, yeah, which I'm sure is still good, but just different, right, 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 right. It's still, <laughs> it's, it's still different. But then you're also, you know, for like what got you into it, there there definitely is this um, sense of satisfaction when you acquire it yourself. You know, and it's and it's actually quite analogous to people that you know they have a small garden and it, it it might just be like a container garden on the, on their deck in the city. But when you eat something that you put effort into it, it just tastes better. I mean, you just, you just feel better about it. And that goes with getting your proteins too, getting your meat. This is the same way, you know, that effort that goes into it to just so much, you get so much more out of it. At least I do. I guess I shouldn't speak for yeah. everybody, but that's me. Well, and you, you waste less of it. Oh, hundred percent. So much work into it, you know. It's like you've one more bite of something on your plate, and maybe if you'd gotten it at the store, you don't have that emotional connection to it. You know, it's like, oh, we'll just throw it in the trash. Right. Well, and yeah, and I think something else that happens too is you you don't eat with. Uh, what's what am I trying to say? You don't eat as whimsically i don't know if that's quite quite the right term but like oh what do i feel like eating today so you have this entire animal that you harvested and even as you're processing it and putting it away in the freezer or canning jarring or whatever you're doing whatever your preservation method is you're kind of building up a menu in your head of here are the potential things i can make with this and if it's a big enough animal that list is pretty extensive you know if it's a if it's a deer you got a lot of a lot of recipes you can conjure up. Whereas when you don't take that step and you're just like, Oh, I need to go get a couple pounds of hamburger at the store. You know, it's like, that's a very small fraction of that animal you're utilizing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's just a totally different. Totally different. I I did that with my, my Turkey when I was, 
out in the field and I got when we were, you know, butchering it up. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do carnitas tacos with the legs. I'm going to do this with the breast, with the bones. I'm going to make turkey stock and just trying to save as much of it as possible. And I was like, well, that's a, this isn't very much meat. I'm going to make like three or four meals out of this, and then I'm going to have to go get another one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm excited to to have that experience with a bigger animal like a deer or elk or Right, or you get whatever. multiple birds. You know, or you can, yeah. you know, depending on what state you're in, you can get two turkeys. Or if you're close enough to another state or you're willing to travel, you can get turkeys in that state too. So you, you, could, you could definitely add to your yes uh, absolutely to your menu or to you know to your repertoire as it was per that particular animal mm-hmm. um and also uh i've totally derailed my own thought god i hate when i do that um oh, no. <laughs> it's just the worst oh going back to what you're saying it's like you wanted to make your own stock and you want to do like that is so true like i find myself doing the same thing it's like when you process your own your own animals like you don't want any of that to go to waste you know, like, I'll, if I get to shoot a nice fatty duck in the fall or a goose, like, I want to get as much of that fat out of there as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and render that out. Like, I've I've gotten to the point where, I'll, like, I'll just have Ziploc bags just of, like, fat trimmings. When I get enough, then I'll just throw those in a pan and render them down. And then you have that wonderful duck fat that you can use to cook anything in, potato, I mean, just literally anything. But the wonderful byproduct of rendering down duck and goose fat is the cracklings you get at the very end mm, of it. <laughs> yep. Just a little bit of cayenne pepper and a little bit of salt on there. Oh, my God. Those are delectable. It's like candy. So good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's because it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you find yourself creating more work for yourself because you're like, okay, that requires now. Cause you know, a lot of people they'll shoot geese and, and a lot of times they'll just breast them, you know, they'll literally just cut the yeah. the skin, peel it off, take the breasts out and the rest of the, they just throw the rest away, which is somewhat wasteful. Um, you should for sure be taking the hearts out and you should for sure be grabbing the thighs and the legs, you know, on a goose, there's plenty of meat, meat there. But once you get into this, uh, element of it where you're trying to use everything and you want to render that fat out. Now you find yourself plucking <laughs> because you, that's right. the only way to really get that fat out of there. And it's like, yeah, you start making more work for yourself. And at some point in time, you do kind of have to draw the line because like, it's not like I'm going to shoot a deer and then, you know, start making soap out of the fat. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not taking oh, it to I that, you know, I totally had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> and tanning, tanning this the hide and making my own gloves. Like, okay, yes. there, there is a point. Okay. <laughs> There's literally not enough time in the day. And again, this goes back to that it takes a village thing, right? So if you have somebody that does like to make soap, like that's their thing, well, you can go ahead and trim off that towel and give it to them. And then in return, maybe they'll hopefully give you a couple bars back. Right. That would be cool. Yeah. I would be totally into that. But I am not making my own soap. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I live in a one-bedroom apartment in the middle of downtown Denver, so I don't think that oh that would God. go over very well, tanning yeah. a hide <laughs> somewhere outside. <laughs> so, you know, Ricky, maybe when I move, I'll, I'll try it once. But I was going to say, I think, Ricky, I think, I think you need to move to the country. I don't think this I, city I living is really, going to cut it really for you very do. long, very much longer. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm already I'm looking at places and Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to make that move. How was the uh, how was the frogging? Were you gigging? Uh hand grabbing. Oh hand grabbing, okay. Yeah. And um it was such an awesome experience and you know, here comes a girl from California and meeting up with her friend from Louisiana and you know, being taken out on the boat and, you know, having these older men be like, okay, now don't scream. They're, you know, <laughs> they're slimy. They're this, they're that. I'm like, okay, no, I'm ready. Don't and scream. I remember grabbing the first frog and just, I mean, my heart was just like pumping and I had the biggest smile on my face ever. Those big and bullfrogs are strong. They are so strong. Yeah. Um, like, I think people underestimate it. Like, this is like, 
it's it's hard to keep a good grip on them slimy little <laughs> bastards. Yeah, it was definitely an experience. And I guess normally there are a lot more frogs out. Um, so mm. we only caught, I think, around 20, 25 maybe. Um, but processing them was interesting. Um, frogs are the the legs are, are where the meat is essentially right right you know you, you can kind of get meat out of other places but it's it's really not worth your time sure um and that was something that kind of really i don't want to say bugged us but it was it was really interesting because you know you generally want to utilize the whole animal right and there's just a lot of waste that goes into to frogs because they're all guts pretty much yeah for sure yeah i can see that um but those frog legs were damn I've good. I've never processed male frogs. I've thought about it a few times. So, like, up here in Minnesota, we don't have, I think in southern Minnesota, there might be some bullfrogs. Mm, but I'm not entirely sure. And we have some mm. species of frogs that get, you know, bigger. Or if we do have bullfrogs, they just don't get as big as the ones do in the southern United States. Um, but with that said, I've personally caught some frogs before that I feel like, had enough meat on their legs to make it worth my while. I just, I haven't, I haven't quite done that yet. You know, I, I used to catch frogs all the time as a kid, you know, just as something to do. Yeah. Um, I actually got paid to do it once. Some guy wanted them for bait. I caught a bunch of them and he paid them for it when I was like, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade or something long, long time <laughs> ago. Um, but I've never, never tried to actually utilize them as a food resource for myself. So that's something I should, I should look into that. I should try doing that sometime. It is definitely an experience. <laughs> and why were you doing hand grabbing versus gigging? Um, you know, I'm not quite sure. I think that's just how um, they normally do it. The people that I went out with. Um, I'm not quite sure the reason. Yeah, I wonder if it was a regulation thing or. No, I don't think so. I think it was just a, to a do preference. It. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. I know I've seen people catch them on, uh, actually, like rod and reel before. You, Whoa. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, it's, it's basically like fly fishing. I mean, you, you throw this yeah. bug looking thing out there and you move it, and those big bullfrogs are pretty predatory. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen them chasing after like legit bass fishing lures before there's videos out there like that's kind of crazy and you can you can catch them that way too which would be kind of wild it might be kind of fun to go out and just be like try all the different ways there is to to harvest frogs and yeah i am definitely on the experience train for sure i'm yeah. not gonna say no to much <laughs> <laughs> now tapping into your chef mentality personality what i mean are you pretty much like, what can you do with frog legs? Is it just, like, battered frog legs? What, what other kind of dishes could you, could you possibly make out of that? Um, you really want to break down the fibers and the muscle for frog legs because that's what they're using the most. So it is pretty tough meat. Um, I'm sure that you can braise them. I think that would be pretty good. Um, frying them, frying anything is, you know just delicious but that is definitely something in in cooking that i will want to stay away from because i think that at least for me it's the easy way out frying you mean uh, deep frying yeah okay yeah because it's going to be delicious pretty much no matter what you know unless you burn it or or whatnot um well, so right. i always try what was that no i said right i mean i have that oh. debate people are probably so tired of me talking about this but it's like with a lot of freshwater fish you know, it's weird. You'll see these debates pop up on, on Facebook or whatever. And like, what's your favorite fish to catch? Walleye or crappie or to eat? And it's mm -hmm. like, dude, they taste the same. Like enough the same yeah. that you're not even tasting them. You're tasting the breading. Like that's all you're tasting. Like it's like, yeah, and, and I'm not saying exactly. it's not good. It is good. I'll eat it all day, every day. I, I mean, it, it's great. I love it. But just be honest with yourself. Like it mm -hmm. doesn't taste it's not like, oh, my God, this is so savory and rich and delicious. It's like, no, this is deep-fried batter. I mean, it's, right. And, <laughs> again, nothing wrong is. with that. It does taste delicious. But I always – I really want to taste the meat. And what I'll often do with meat that I have is that I'll cook it with just a little bit of salt 
and nothing else. That way I can really taste the flavor of the meat and then go from there for my next dish, if that makes sense. It does, because I do the same thing. Anytime I try something new, um, you know, whether that be um, like a wild mushroom that I haven't harvested before mm -hmm. or any kind of fish or any kind of game, I do the same thing. I'll take a couple chunks of it and I'll basically just um, I'll cook it, you know, saute it in butter, a little bit of salt, and then just I want to know what I'm working with. Like, is this is this a flavor that I want to highlight, or is this a flavor that I might need to doctor up? You know, because yes. <laughs> because there are some there may be some game animals that I I really enjoy pursuing, but might not be the best table fare. And you know, those you know. Uh, that's why God made hot sauce. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but I don't want it to go to waste. You know, I'm not just going to kill something for the sake of killing it. So it's like I want to I wanna be able to, to utilize it. But I, it's important to know what your basic starting point is. It's like, okay, now, now I know how to proceed with this. And I think some exactly. things, even as simple as fish, I think a lot of people would be surprised if you did less with it and let the actual, because it is a milder flavor, let that flavor speak for itself. Yeah. I said just covering up with breading. <laughs> Deep right. frying in oil. <laughs> well, and that's what I do, um, <clears throat> I guess, for fun. I don't know if that's sad or not. But, you know, I'll look at different parts of an animal or, or read through a cookbook and, and see what other wild game chefs have done. And then, you know, think mm -hmm. about how it could be done differently or if I want to try that, this or that. And um, it's really, really fun for me to just read through. And because you also have to think about what cuts of meat you're working with, like with the frog legs, it, it's a really you know, it's a working muscle. So you have to really cook it in a special way versus a backstrap where, you know, I think we were talking about this before, uh, you know, cook it to medium rare and sear it with, you know, salt and pepper and call it good. Yeah. Right. So Just treat it like a good steak. What did you do with the frog legs? Like how did you process them or how did you, how did you end up cooking us? Walk us through that process. Oh man. Um, processing, was an ordeal <laughs> um it the skin is so tough as well and just trying to cut through the skin and then get through the bones and i think there's a i think i have a video that i should probably post about that but uh anyway um what we ended up doing was um tori made a we we did fry them okay um she made a a it was like a gluten-free type flour. I can't quite remember what it was. Uh, it was like a nut flour, almond flour, hazelnut flour. Um, and we just fried them in some butter. Um, before we cooked them, we let them sit in some lemon juice to break down. Okay, that's that's kind of what I was wondering. Is like Because oh, you yeah. had talked about how <laughs> it's their primary muscle and it's kind of tough. I was wondering what mm -hmm. you did to break down that muscle before frying it. Yeah, we let them sit in... Uh, marinate in lemon juice for an hour or two before cooking okay. them. All right. As I know what I've done with squirrels, I don't know if you, if you have, uh, worked with squirrel yet. Nope. Um, the younger squirrels, you can get away with just breading them and frying them, you know, just like you would a chicken leg. The older squirrels can be quite tough and you can't get away with that. So you'll actually boil them first. With a little bit. Really? Yeah. So you, you'll put them or simmer. I don't know if it's like full, but I'm trying to remember if I actually boiled. I think I got it to a boil, reduce the heat to like a simmer and then throw in some like uh, vinegar or apple yeah. cider vinegar or something, some, some sort of acid to help break the, break those fibers down, like you're saying. And then, yeah, then once that, then you take that off, you let it cool. Then you do your dip, your breading, you know, milk and whatever you, however else you want to do it. And it, I mean, it was very good. <laughs> very good people would be surprised like I, I was kind of resistant to try squirrel only because once you start skinning them they're just rats and that's yes not very, <laughs> that idea is not super palatable <laughs> like i'm eating no. a tree rat um however once i got over that hurdle and especially after i cooked it and ate it and it was delicious i was like well 
don't care what they look like. I know what they taste like from this from this mm-hmm. point on. Um, they are oh, very, my whole family thinks good. I'm crazy. <laughs> oh, I, I I've been hunting for for quite a while, and I've always kind of been the outdoor nut of my family, and even they are surprised at me sometimes. And I'm just like, well, I tried this, and they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, it's why not? It's an animal, like you know, you know. One thing I haven't tried is raccoon yet, and I probably should like just and there's a yet at the end of that statement so yeah yeah no i, I will try it i mean <laughs> yeah exactly i'll try anything once you yeah know? no problem especially when i hear other people talk favorably of it i mean that's i remember i specifically went out to get uh to trap a beaver because over the years i had read you know different articles about how good beaver taste and it was never like I never talked to somebody that tried it without them raving about it. Like there was never anybody, not only that didn't like it, but just didn't even be like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Or Mm -hmm. with like a lot of things like, well, if you cook it right, you know, you didn't hear any of that. It's just like the people that have tried beaver rave about it. I'm like, man, I got to try one of these things. And I just, as it so happened, there's um, some public land by my house where I had noticed there was these, these big, beaver runs and they're just like using them like crazy i'm like well this is like a guaranteed catch i gotta throw some traps in here this spring so i i threw some traps in there sure enough and i'm getting a beaver processed it ate it and it was as good as they said <laughs> wow like, yeah and then you talk to other people and like you ate a what it's like i'm telling you I'm, I'm just i'm just telling you it's some of the best wild meat that's out there well, it's it's crazy to think also that a hundred years ago that was completely normal. Oh it yeah, was completely normal to have venison on the table or even black bear or in squirrels a, in or a restaurant. Raccoon. Yeah, I mean that that's what drove, you know, the market hunting. That's what crashed, you know, ultimately crashed wildlife populations in this country at the turn of the century, and then consequently, out of that evolved the North American model of conservation. So mm-hmm. I mean. Something very good came out of something very bad. You know, some of the, I mean, literally, I mean, some of these animals were almost hunted to extinction. Yeah. And now we're seeing these great recoveries and that's, it's a success story and that's exactly how it should be portrayed. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I, you know, try and get my sister to eat wild game and she's adamantly against it for whatever reason um (laughs) it's a mental block for some people i don't know why but it it just is it is and it's a little frustrating i mean i completely respect her opinion um she's definitely eaten more venison than she's realized when she comes over for dinner but um you know we just have two different viewpoints and when i tell her like you know yeah we used to hunt bear and i mean we still do but it used to be more commonplace and and eat the meat i mean she just got visibly grossed out (laughs) that is weird how some people are like that though yeah like that's another interesting psychological thing to kind of think about and and to no pun intended to dissect you know like get like what 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 is that where does that hesitancy come from is it just like the culture i mean that you grow up this very kind of sterile upbringing where it's like, I mean, if you think about it, we don't really have a very, a very much, I guess varied would be the right term, like diet. Like you go to the store and you got chicken, beef and pork and fish. Maybe that's it. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like, you know what I mean? Like there's just four animals that were out there eating Turkey on Thursday, on Thanksgiving. (laughs) It's like, Wow, yeah, you that's have not much season. variety there. <laughs> no, not at all. And it's weird, like, why why don't people try more things? I mean, I guess I can kind of see it with bear, just because it's so different from any other animal. Like, it's not a livestock animal. Right. Maybe that is kind of a... I don't know. And there's some there's something I mean, about, I... like, predators, too. I guess, you know, they're omnivores, but they're predators, too. And I think there's a some people have a really um, big mental block when it comes to eating predators. That is a great point. Actually. I'm trying to think if there's any commonplace uh, predator meat that we consume, but I don't, 
I don't think there is. The only one I would say, and it's definitely not commonplace, but I have heard, and I do definitely want to try this, both the hunt and the eating of it is uh, mountain lion is supposed to be I, very good. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And people definitely look at me weird when I say that, um, <laughs> well, especially that's... being from California because it's banned. Right. But people don't really realize that just because we don't hunt them doesn't mean that they're not being taken care of, as they say. Yeah. No, I, just, I just talked about this on a, a friend of mine's podcast. Um, uh-huh. And the, and most hunters know this. I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but this is something that you can kind of pass along to those people that we talked about that are maybe on the fence. Maybe they're not interested in hunting, but they're, you know, willing to at least learn about the culture and be educated on it. Is that by banning lion hunting in California, they didn't save any lions. The same amount of lions get killed every year. It's just taken out of taxpayer money now. And mm-hmm. it's done by government hitmen. And unfortunately, nothing gets used. By law, nothing can be used. So they literally kill them and just dump them in a pit. And that's it. Whereas the old model, hunters would pay for a license. That money would go back into the resource. They would then harvest that animal. They would utilize that animal in a hide, in uh, you know maybe a, a skull trophy or something like that, or a full-body trophy, whatever, however taxidermy they, they choose to do to memorialize that hunt and then they eat that meat like it it got utilized now you're very unceremoniously killing the exact same amount of lions and nothing's being used it's completely wasteful and it's like that doesn't make any sense but they don't care i mean the people that you know got that law don't care because ultimately when you boil it down to the bare bones of it again no pun intended is um no pun intended but welcomed um (laughs) <laughs> is the the thing they have a problem with is not so much that a lion died. It's that somebody took some form of enjoyment out of it. That's what they don't like. Right. Bottom line. And it's if it doesn't sound pretty, look pretty, it's not good. Well, yeah. I mean, people, yeah, emotions, people definitely argue a lot more for those really cute, fluffy animals than they do, you know. I don't see too many save the frog, <laughs> stop the frog hunt, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> environmental clubs out there, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, I could just, I mean, but with that said, I mean, deer are cute, but I think they're, I think with deer, there's so much similar to cattle that it, it's not, you know what I mean? And there's so yeah. many of them. Exactly. I yeah. They're a are, pest. Yeah. People are able to put that aside. Um, there is another term when it, I think there's just so many deer too that um, this comes into play. Like commonality breeds um, descent, I think is the term. Yeah. So it's like anything that's super common kind of gets that vermin mentality and therefore doesn't hold as much value. And you do find this in the hunting world too. Um, so like with the snow geese, which I will be hunting here very quickly and guiding for in South Dakota, when they enacted the spring snow goose the conservation order it was to control their rapidly expanding population and so once it kind of got to that point where they were a pest you started even within the hunting community people would refer to them as like uh, sky carp and (laughs) stuff yeah i mean so they start they they start uh, coming up with these um pejoratives right and kind of lessening their value because there's just so many of them but unfortunately the other part of that is then they don't give them the respect that they need and they're more apt to just shoot a bunch of them and dump them somewhere and not even utilize the resource and that's not okay you know that just because there's a bunch of them doesn't mean you know that they that they're any less valuable as for the table because i can firsthand tell you they are delicious they're amazing actually yeah i'm i would love to go hunting for those that's not i mean every hunt sounds so much fun well but. right <laughs> <laughs> well come on out south dakota's not that far from denver it's really not no <laughs> no come on out but yeah i mean getting again getting into hunting and, and learning about all of this stuff is has just been like eye-opening for sure and getting to know those the animals that that are in your 
backyard or in your state or or all of that stuff. I mean, I have learned more about animals in this past year than I've ever learned. Well, and that's that's an interesting point too, right? It's like I my argument against like anti hunters are people that self proclaimed uh, animal lovers. Like I, I have a a like. A football analogy that I like to use, and again, people listen to this podcast have heard me say this a million times. There, but buckle up, I'm gonna say it again. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> will say that they are an animal lover, right? I don't want you to kill X animal because it's this. I love them, you know. Well, do you, or do you just love the idea of them? Because a hunter knows everything about that animal, like everything about that animal. I know mm-hmm. where it sleeps what time of year, how it reproduces, um, what it looks like, what it smells like, what its poop looks like, what its poop smells like. Like they know literally everything (laughs) about that animal. They love that animal. You just think they're pretty. That doesn't, that's not enough to say you love it. And the sports analogy is this. That's like saying you are the biggest football fan because Tom Brady is cute. Now you don't know what position he plays. You don't know how the game is played. You don't know how it's scored. You have no idea how many teams there are. You you know nothing about the game, but he's really attractive. So, therefore, I am a huge football fan. Oh, this sounds like a personal attack. <laughs> That's the same. Sorry, are you are you a Brady fan? No, I'm not, but I, yeah, I know nothing about football. Oh, oh. Some of them are pretty cute. <laughs> it, 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 could be, it could be anything, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It, I'm uh, – I don't know what you say. I love movies, but I've never watched a movie. But I saw a picture right. of Brad Pitt one time, and he's hot. So I'm just a huge Brad Pitt fan, you know. But you yeah, actually have and- never fully watched one of his movies. That that's that's kind of the same thing. It's like you, it you profess to love this thing, but you're completely ignorant about it. And then on top of that, you're disparaging people that actually do know and do love it on a level that you can't even comprehend. And I do get that it's kind of hard for people to, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, how can you kill it if you love it? Like, I get that that, for people that are, you know, weren't raised in a hunting culture, I I get that that is a hard kind of... Or even a ranching culture. Yeah, or exactly, yep ranching or farming culture it's like what are you talking about it's like well it's just the role it's the it's their role in the world and and i get that that you know that connection i can see how that can be kind of hard um but i don't know i think when you explain it at least i'd like to think the way i explained it would make sense to somebody it's like do you yeah do you really love that like when do they breed how do they breed like (laughs) Can you tell me anything about this animal other than the fact that it's pretty to look at? I participated in a what is it, a 4-H celebrity lamb showing um, where they invited people that were not in the 4-H community to learn how to show uh, a lamb. And it was a very cool thing to see these young kids raising animals, putting so much care and love into them. And then at the end of the season, you know, the family sells it off and it becomes meat and it's the circle of life. And I think that is such a cool experience for kids to have. And really, you know, I never got that experience growing up. And I think a lot of city kids would do really well to at least do that for one season. Obviously, they can't, you know, a lot of people aren't equipped to have to take care of an animal like that. But. No, but I think I think it could be something that could definitely be incorporated into our school curriculum. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I think it would serve us very well to have some um, field trips to working farms, whether that be a, a dairy farm or you know a beef farm or even just a garden. Like, go see what it's about. See where your food comes from. Like we are just mm-hmm. as a society so disconnected from our food. Where these these ideas of this like impossible burger sounds like a good idea. It's like, are you kidding me? Have you seen the ingredient list? And how do you possibly think that that's better for the environment? Look at that ingredient list. Everything on that ingredient list 
has to be grown and harvested somewhere and then produced in a factory with chemicals to reduce it to something where you can make a paste and turn it into some sort of meat-like substitute. Or exactly. Or you could just kill a cow. <laughs> it's like right. <laughs> I mean, it's one life versus you know. And this was I don't know. Did you watch Yellowstone at all? Yes. Yep. So there was that episode with the animal rights activist or whatever, and he kind of went, you know, um, the main character there, Kevin Costner's character, went on a, a little bit of a, a rant about you don't understand what goes into eating your salad. You know, when those combines go through and they kill everything in their path, every bug, every rodent, every small bird, everything kills tens of thousands of them over the course mm-hmm. of this whole field. But you can kill one cow. One. You take one life versus tens of thousands of smaller lives. But people don't really want to take that into account. You know, it's not convenient for them to. Like, no. It's one of those really easy, lazy things for them to demonize and feel better about themselves without actually having to do anything. Like, they just, yeah. you know, that's... There's no shortage of that on the internet, let's be honest. Oh, no. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I, I really, really thought that that was well done in that show. And, it, I mean, we can talk about Yellowstone all day, but <laughs> I, I think that it's also really interesting. I mean, because it's truly showing people that are not a part of, you know, farming, ranching, what have you, kind of the what it's like you know on a very minimal scale you know it's not getting into the real nitty-gritty of it but showing that it is hard work it it you know there is a connection there to the animals to your food and and it is a really important part of american culture well and and bringing it back to hunting you know it's what you try to portray is it's such like humans killing an animal is the most in in most cases granted sometimes they get wounded whatever but even then generally there's a much quicker death than they're going to get in the wild you know a coyote or a wolf or a bear they will capture an animal and start eating it before it's dead like they just it is a brutal way to go they don't care they they'll eat it ass first while it's alive still struggling to get away the thing is screaming, and it's not a quick death. It's it's like the worst worst death you can possibly imagine. Meanwhile, that bullet a lot of times puts them down. Like the the power just goes off. They literally have no idea what hit them. Like they were no. just they were just doing their deer things, and then the lights went out. Yeah, it doesn't get. <laughs> I mean, literally. It's a, no, it's very true. I, yeah. You know, I've said the same, you know, I've raised poultry in the past and, you know, I had a couple turkeys for very specific reasons. And, you know, as a lesson for my kids, it's like, are we going to name them? I'm like, yeah, I'm naming them um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, just so there's no <laughs> confusion as, to, yeah. as to, to what these are for. And it's like, they were treated just like every other animal on, on my property. Like, it, they got treated very well. I mean, I went out there and I spent time with them every day and, you know, threw scratch grains around and filled their food and their water thing. And, you know, it's, we had a, a good working relationship. You could say it's like their life was way better than they would ever have in the wild. They weren't worried about predators. I kept them safe. I took care of that part. And then they had one bad day <laughs> and not one even, bad, and, and not even, even not bad. even a whole day, <laughs> not even like they had, right. they had five bad minutes. By the time that I wrestled one and they were like, why are you hugging me all of a sudden? And then the lights went out. I mean, it's, yeah. we could, we could all be so lucky, right? I mean, like that, that's, that's the way to go. And that's another hard one for, for people to grasp. It's like, how can you, don't you get attached to these things? It's like, well, no, but it doesn't mean I don't have an affinity for them. Like I still respect them. But right. I, but I know I, I don't, I'm not lying to myself about the role that they play in my life. And the same can be said about wildlife. You know, it's just the the natural circle of life. Yeah. 
These, it's very true. These deer don't live forever. You know, it, it, without hunting, it's not like a deer is going to make it to be a hundred. You know, no. they get old, they miss a right. step, and then they either die of starvation, they get taken out by a predator. That's what happens. That's how wild things die. I think uh, nature is metal on Instagram. I'm not oh, sure if you follow it. Yes, not, it's I think fantastic. that is such an amazing portrayal of real life. It is, um, and it says a lot about our culture that a lot of times you have to click that little icon that says disturbing yes. image or whatever. And it's like this is right. how <laughs> soft of a society we are, that this is just the way the world works, like everywhere. Mm -hmm. This is happening every day, all day, 24, 365, this is just this is nature it's 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 cold and uncaring like it just it just happens there's no morality behind it it just just happens you know and i find yeah. people that you know you have the they love when like you know the the lion is hunting a gazelle and it takes off after it and then the gazelle gets away people love that but where is the compassion for the lion like that could have been that lion's last chance at survival. Like if he doesn't, if this hunt isn't successful, he will no longer have the strength to hunt again. And so each hunt following that is more likely going to fail because he's losing a step. He doesn't have the energy, doesn't have the strength, and he is just going to slowly wither away and die. So where's yeah. the compassion for like, why aren't we cheering on that lion? It'd be like, oh man, he need, he really needs this. Like this is the, this is the meal he needs or he's screwed, but they don't, they don't have that. It's, it's no, that's a very good point. I've actually never thought of it that way. Wow. <laughs> Cause you're right. It is like, you know, the underdog story, you know, he got mm -hmm. away, but you're like, oh, you know, yay. there could be cubs somewhere that need to be fed right. and hundred percent. Yeah. That you know? is very, very, uh, you know, very eye opening. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, I don't know. Uh, um, that's just how my weird brain works, but I find it interesting that we don't we don't cheer we don't cheer on other predators as we are predators ourselves. It seems kind of counterintuitive. You think we would be team predator. You know, you know what I mean? And I wonder yeah. if it's hardwired in us on a, on like an evolutionary level because they're competition. Like maybe Well, we... I also don't think that a lot of people view themselves as predators. Well, that's convenient. It is. <laughs> it is, but I think it's just a, a way that we um, Unless you're vegan. disconnect ourselves from animals, you know. Yeah, Constantly. unless you're vegan, you are for sure a predator. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I would argue even if you are, going back to that whole Yellowstone analogy of killing tens of thousands of life forms so that you can have your kale, um, you're a predator too. You, you you still have a hand in, in the mass murder of countless different kinds of creatures. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's it's a hard point. Nobody wants to grasp that if they're on that, you know, anti meat or anti hunting thing, but it's like it, it you shoot an elk, you are set. Your protein for needs are set for a year. Like you're gonna be sharing that meat with friends and family. That is a lot of meat. And you took one life, one to have a pantry fully stocked with canned vegetables and fruits or frozen fruits and vegetables or whatever the thing may be. So many more lives have to die for that to happen. Like mm -hmm. almost countless more lives so that you can have, so you can live a vegan lifestyle. You know, and I, I don't want to go on a, a vegan attack here. That's not really my, my <laughs> point. Um, because I'm fine with it. I, hey, listen, I'm an omnivore. I like vegetables too. I like, I love salads. So mm -hmm. it, it's not like I'm trying to be on this like moral high ground. It's like, no, no, no. I'm complicit in just as many deaths as you are. And then plus a couple because I'm also hunting on top of it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, I think what I'm trying to say is like, we need to be, we need just be honest about ourselves in that the only way we survive is by taking other life. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's, that is how the world works. I mean, 
not even, I mean, just life begets death, death begets life. I mean, the soil is just, it's organic dead material from plants and animals. That's what it is. You can't grow anything without soil. So I don't, I don't know how you, you know, for the bare bones, for the, for the ingredients to make your impossible burger in a lab, you still need some starting Nutrient foundation. Rich yeah. Soil. Yeah. <laughs> you need something, <laughs> you know, that yeah. the soybeans didn't grow for free. That's that soil you're using. Like that's, it, it requires some. It requires a lot. And, and where do you draw the line? Right. Do you, you know, are pesticides okay to keep other animals away from eating your food? You know, is that okay taking food out of the mouths of other animals? There's a whole rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just the monocrop culture. Like you, you, you have tens of thousands of acres of one plant species that would normally be a giant ecosystem if left alone, if it was just the prairie or, you know, whatever it was, a host of all sorts of different plant species and insects and rodents and reptiles and birds and mammals and everything. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, but now you have just soybeans so that you can have your tofu. Like it, it's not, it's not a karma free diet. It's just not when we didn't, and I'm fine if that's what you want your diet to be. Just be honest about it. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all I ask is just be honest yeah. with yourself and others. Again, I think it just goes into educating people about our food systems. Right. Um, well, what 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 are your goals? Like, where are you? Where do you want to take this wild game chef and hunter um, path that you're on? I think it's blossoming into education about what it actually entails. Um, and making it easily digestible, pun intended, I guess, for <laughs> the non-hunting community. Um, you know, no one, if, if you're just scrolling through Instagram, you know, you don't want to read a full article, maybe not, on, you know, why hunting is good and why X, Y, Z is bad or, or what have you. Um, but I think, you know, maybe through cooking, maybe through like fun educational videos just making things getting people aware of how they're eating what they're eating what goes into these processes you know why we have why ranching is a thing why farming is a thing Um, I I think that is sort of what my path will be and so are you you looking to turn this into a like full-blown full-blown career or is this kind you know, of just going to be a I part would of your? Definitely like to. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we'll see. I, you know, I, I am definitely in a much different place today than I was even a year ago. So, you know, you could probably ask me the same question in a month, and I might have some and completely different answer. Sure. But I think for for now, just educating myself so that I can educate others. Well, we're coming into spring, and so turkeys are on the are going to be on the menu again here shortly. Yes. Um, as well as, I mean, you do uh, have the foraging on your profile, your LinkedIn profile too, Wild and Foraged. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, we got morel mushrooms that are going to be a thing here. Yes, uh, in I'm a so couple months. I know, I'm jacked, jacked. I love morels. Well, I love wild mushrooms in general, but um, morels are, they're just, they're just special because it's one of the first ones you can get so it's it's not only and they taste great. So it's it's not only those things, but it's like, okay, I'm done with winter, and it, that's a sure sign of that winter is over. So it's you, days are nice and warm, the sun's warm, like oh, things are green. It's, it's nice. I think it's the whole the whole scene just makes morels that much more special. But it definitely yeah it does. So what what is your what's your next quarry? Is it turkeys? Uh, it is turkey. Um, I think a couple of us are meeting back up in, in Nebraska um, for the spring turkey hunt. Um, last time we did search for morels but did not find any. So I'm hoping that we are successful on both counts because that would be a really awesome haul to bring home. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what your schedule is like, but uh, I like I said, I will be in South Dakota 
in eastern South Dakota all of March. So if you want to dip your toes into the uh, waterfalling world, we can. Uh, yeah, we I've can, yet to do that. We can assist you <laughs> in that. Thank you. Yeah, I will definitely check my schedule. All right. Um, what else? What? Where can people find you? Uh, social media stuff like that. Yeah, Wild and Foraged on Instagram. That is my main platform um, now. I am just getting into the world of social media. I hate it, but it is a <laughs> it's necessary a nest- Yes, it is. 100%. <laughs> um, I did buy a ring light, so now I could you know make movies and you know cooking demonstrations and and all that stuff and it's not going to look like garbage so youtube will be a potential on the horizon um i do have a website called wildandforge.com um it is under maintenance at the moment so i should be um, adding a lot of content to that in the next month or so i do a a a fair bit of foraging myself even not just the mushrooms but with all the wild greens you know and that's the other exciting thing about the spring is the the new shoots from ramps mm-hmm. to nettles um dandelions you know all of it and i'm i'm constantly learning more and expanding more and uh, so any in any way shape if i can i can uh help you with that don't uh be afraid to ask questions I will definitely utilize you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> As I, I'm with you, I just like to educate, and it's kind of cool. Anytime I learn a new thing, I want to share it with everybody else because it's like, holy crap! I didn't know this like food resource literally growing in my backyard. And quite honestly, the vast majority of the weeds and air quotes that you pull out of your vegetable yeah. garden are not only edible a lot of times delicious and far more far more nutritious than the things that you're growing. So why they not might utilize them? Not be as pretty. They're definitely not <laughs> as pretty. And I will say yeah. they're I mean flavor-wise with some exceptions, they're not like amazing, right? And it, like when I eat nettles, I'm not like, "Oh my god, these nettles are so good." But the way I a lot of doctoring. Yeah, the way I utilize them. I mean, they're actually quite bland, to be honest. But knowing that they're so packed with the nutrition, it's like it seems silly to not utilize them. I mean, they're they. It's like a garden you put no effort into. Like they grow in spite of your best efforts. (laughs) So they're right. Right. Take advantage. Take advantage of it. Like it's just it's right there. Don't have to weed weeds. They just they do their thing beautiful mm-hmm. it's wonderful i mean i like carrots as much as the next guy but you know, there's <laughs> literally room at the table for for all of it yeah all right ricky thank you very much for doing this again i appreciate it thank you for your patience with the technological glitches no um, problem yeah so definitely stay in touch um anytime you want to come on just let me know you get it sort of new endeavor if you write a a cookbook and you want to get it out there don't hesitate to reach out or uh, Thank you. your YouTube channel once that gets uh, up and rolling. Same yeah. thing. Just keep just uh, keep us all posted. Perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.